All right, welcome to Journey Church. Hey, thank you for joining us here on, on Sunday morning. My name is Scott. I'm the, the lead pastor here. And if no one has had a chance to, to say hi or welcome to you, let me do that. Welcome to Journey Church. We hope, our hope as you come into this place is that you feel at home with us. Uh, apologize for my, my croaky voice. I was at a uh, football game last night. I watched the Beavers beat Utah, which was fantastic. Yeah, what a great game, man. But uh, I end up yelling a lot too, so... So I'm a little croaky this morning, but y'all just, I'm not preaching, so you won't have to put up with me for long. Um, I, a few quick things, and then I'm going to invite a, a friend up to introduce him to you. First is, I, I don't even know if I'm supposed to announce this. I'm not even sure if it's totally true. Maybe a slide will come up. But I think next Sunday, like Journey Kids, I think they're, they're going to be invited to wear PJs to church. <laughs> so kids only. Just FYI, like we're drawing the line, like fifth grade and under. So just... Parents, we'll probably get some more information out there, but sorry, 6th graders, 7th graders, nope. Um, so just that's, that's that. The second thing is, and this is the main announcement, and it's not even an announcement. What it is is an opportunity for partnership. If you follow us on Instagram or Facebook or you get our newsletter, you know that we put out a word this week that we're going to be partnering with a local, a somewhat local, it's, it's centered in, in Portland, but it, a local organization that is working with, with refugees that are resettling and rebuilding their lives. Now, at, at a few months ago when we saw all that was going on in Afghanistan, I know I and many people were like, what in the world can I do to help? I will pray for sure. But is there anything tangible that I can do to partner to help? To help? And this is a way to be helping in some, in some form or fashion with people from Afghanistan or from other countries that are being brought in as, as, as refugees and trying to resettle and rebuild their lives in a, in a culture, in a context, in a city that is not their own. And so the, this, there's an organization called the Refugee Care Collective, and they, all they do is, is they partner with families and other nonprofits and churches to just try to come alongside these families and help reestablish their lives in a whole new home. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? And our goal this morning is simply to offer like some resource to be able to help them rebuild that in the form of, of gift cards that could be used at, at like Fred Meyer or Walmart to purchase food and other things that would just help them to rebuild their lives. Maybe sheets, right? Maybe uh, household cleaners, things that will just allow them to uh, be established and not have to worry about some of those things. So this morning, we're going to invite you to participate by taking a a special offering. And then again, if you've been at Journey Church for very long, you know that we don't pass the offering plate here and not out of uh, opposition to taking offering, but we have just tried to simplify this a little bit. So this morning, if you want to partner with us in partnering with the Refugee Care Collective, we're going to invite you to to give an, an offering right like this is a little bit different than what you would like tie to the church this goes above and beyond and, and it's just as the lord leads and if you're looking for a way to to help in this current situation this is simply an opportunity that we want to bring before you to do that so as you leave today we have a black box it's out by that door um, it's where people would dry, d- drop in any sort of gifts or, or ties if they wanted to do that but today if you put in any cash or if you put in a check with Refugee Care Collective written in the memo, that will go straight to purchasing gift cards. It will, again, help to rebuild and support those that are trying to resettle their lives. If you prefer to do this online, you can follow all the information that's going to be up on the screen. Um, the only thing that I want to point out is if you decide to text this, which honestly, it's the simplest way. After you've set it up, which t- takes two minutes, it's super simple. I was practicing playing around with it this week, and, and I accidentally texted a bunch of money to the church, and I was like, oh, 
I guess it's there. There you go, Refugee Care Collective. But it's super simple. So if you want to do any of those things, the only thing with the text is you would text the amount and then the word refugee behind it. R-E-F-U-G-E-E. Two E's, just in case you wanted to know. So pray about that and just consider that next step. We just wanted to bring that before you. And if this week we'll also be pointing out just some other opportunities you can connect with the the Refugee Care Collective, uh, they do a thing that's called the Restart Kits, which is just these tubs filled with things that people need, probably sheets, household cleaners, other supplies. They have a packing list. You would fill this up, and you would send, take this to the, the Refugee Care Collective, and they would pass it on to those who need it. might be a great opportunity for small groups, families, individuals, whatever. So that is that. Um, the other thing today is, is it's a Sunday that's filled with gas. So how awesome it was to have Sojourn be with us here this morning. We were so grateful for that. And it's, it's kind of funny, like Olivia was saying, that they were her students. At least two third, or two, half of that group I had in youth group at times and just saw them grow up. Andrew and I traveled in Rwanda together. Um, just a lot of great family connections there as well. So it was very fun to see them. But this morning, I'm, I, we have a friend that's going to be coming in and sharing the message with you. His name is, is Rob Roy Ranger. Uh, Rob Roy serves as the superintendent of the Free Methodist Church in Oregon. Now, if you've been with us for very long, you know that we mentioned that, that we are part of the Free Methodist Church, which is a, a global denomination of, of, of churches that, that work together to bring Christ and, and the good news and the redemption of mankind to, to all people. And Rob Roy recently, within the last handful of months, has, has stepped into a new role to serve as the superintendent over about 20 different churches here in Oregon, and Journey Church is, is one of those. So he's starting to learn about the churches, learn the context, how he can support and help us. Rob Roy served for over 20 years at a, a church up in Redmond, Washington. So it was the Reverend Rob Roy Ranger from Redmond. So if, if you just want to lay that out, maybe I stole his thunder with that joke, but I, that's right, I have the mic. So, But I'm not... But here's the thing is I'm not even sure that he's truly from Redmond because I, I've never heard him talk about the Seahawks. And so like Redmond, if you live, not once, and like how can you live that close and like not Russell Wilson, not, I don't know. But anyway, he was there for 20 years. He's been in the, with, working with the Free Methodist Church up in near Seattle for, over the la, for the last two years. And then he's here over the last few months. And we are excited to have Rob Roy come and share a message with us for him to get to know us a little bit. Uh, he is uh, a support for me. I know he, he often is texting me and letting me know that he's praying for me. He's someone that I can, I can go to for when I have uh, needs or, or help, uh, and I'm grateful for him. So, Robert, will you come up? I'd love to pray for you as, as we prepare to hear God's word from you this morning. Father, we thank you for this day, how you have unique, uniquely appointed it for a purpose, Lord, that you've plan for us to, to meet and to gather in this space with one another and, and to hear from you. And so we ask, Lord, that you would uh, fill us with your Holy Spirit as we open your word uh, to look at it and to listen to it, to hear your voice. And I pray that as Rob Roy shares with us this morning, you would equip him with everything good for doing your will, that you would fill him with your spirit, and then you would bear good fruit in his life, Lord. We just thank you for his obedience to you his obedience to your word, and his willingness to just dive into that with us today. Uh, may your name be honored and glorified this morning, Lord. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. 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 Thank you so much. Well, it's really great to be here. Um, as you see, my name is Rob Roy. Actually, Rob Roy is one word. It's, it's R-O-B-R-O-I, one word. So it is actually, you made one mistake. It's the right reverend, Rob Roy Ranger, Redmond. So, you know, get it right. You know, it's like, come on. Well, it's really good to be here, and I'm so excited about your church and what God is doing here. My daughter is with me t- this morning. Her name is Angel. She's over here somewhere. And uh, I have three kids. One of my kids is over in Afghanistan, uh, not Afghanistan. Kyrgyzstan is where he's living, and uh, he's a missionary over there. My daughter is living with us right now. We just, I just became a boompa, so I am, I've got my brand new baby in my house, and so I'm operating on very little sleep this morning, so who knows what's going to happen. Uh, it could be a really exciting Sunday. Um, so anyway, today we are in John, the book of John, and uh, I decided to call this sermon Snakes on a Cross. Um, I don't, have you ever seen the movie Snakes on a Plane? Did anyone... Couple of, I see a, a few, who, yeah, no? Okay, so I thought it was kind of interesting because it's a way uh, for simple-minded film executives to convey a meaning without ever coming up with a title. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to sort of go back through some of the old uh, movies like Lawrence of Arabia, and we'd call him, you know, Flamboyant Man in the Desert. You know, or how about this one, Jaws? Anybody got some suggestions? Jaws, what? Shark, yeah, okay. I, I thought shark in the water, so you... That was really good. That was good, yeah. What about Star Wars? Anyone? This is an interactive sermon, so you've sort of got to interact with me, because I will come to you if you don't help me. Yeah, what, what do you think? Angry men in white suits. That's really good. I, I thought maybe men in space. That, that's kind of cool, right? Or what about uh, Top Gun? Adrenaline junkies. Yeah, anyone else? This is interactive. Come on. What did you say? Too much testosterone. I thought about guys in jets. Yeah, yeah. And how about this one, Squid Games? Don't, don't admit, but I know a lot of you are watching Squid Games, right? Some of you are watching Squid Games. How about dead people in debt? <laughs> or, or maybe because it's a sermon, maybe we'll go with dead people who need Jesus, <laughs> right? So, we're in the, so today we're about snakes on a cross. And so Jesus actually, as we get into the text today, he's pointing out uh, this whole story about snakes on the, I mean, snakes in the, on the camp, right? And all of a sudden, you've got these fiery serpents and, and on this uh, area, and they're, maybe because they're bright-colored or maybe because their bite was painful. Has anybody been bitten by a snake ever? Anyone? Because I've never been... So I, all I understand is it's pretty painful, right? So they're in pain, and they're crying out. And they're going, Moses, help us, right? And, and Moses, you know, they've just been ripping him off getting in his face, and now they're crying out to him. But what I want you to notice, which is really interesting, is they had the mind to say, we have sinned. Right? They're pointing the finger in the right direction because we have spoken against you and we've spoken against the Lord. So God then instructs Moses to make this serpent out of brass, stick it on a pole where everybody could see it, and if anybody looked at the serpent on the snake, they'd be instantaneously healed. Now, we're not going to have Snake Sunday, because although I understand that's a part of your American culture, uh, but we're not going to do that, right? But you can look it up. It's really scary, and it's weird. But the purpose of this whole point is that there's a myriad of thoughts, but what Jesus wants us to see, what we need to understand as we come to this Old Testament text, is that it's all pointing towards the Messiah, right? And as we read the text this morning, I want the correct picture to be painted in your mind. 
As we come to this text, I want you to understand it from the context of the Scripture. And as we come to God love, God gave, we believe, we receive, you know, the famous John 3, 16. I want you to have the picture of the serpent on the pole rather than the guy with the colored hair at the end game as they're playing at the Seahawks, right? So I want you to get the right picture. Russell used to come to my church. No, he didn't, really. <laughs> so here in John, I want, we're going to start John chapter 2. Now, I know we sort of looked at this last week a little bit, but John... 2, 23, 24, I'm not going to bring it up, but if you have a Bible, an iPad, an iPod, whatever you have, you might want to go there. While he was in Jerusalem, right, he's at the Passover feast, and many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing, they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Now, in the Talmud, which is a a record of rabbinic discussions that pertain to Jewish laws, ethics, customs, history, and and it speaks to this man by the name of Nicodemus, right, who was a follower of Jesus, right? He's a guy who's an exception to the crowd. He he belongs to a group of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin, and he is a Pharisee. Now, there's two, two types of guys in the Old Testament. There's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The way to remember them is the Pharisees believed in life after death. The Sadducees did not believe. They thought when you die, that's it, and they were very sad, you see. Uh-huh. Okay, got it. So Pharisees and Sadducees. So which one is Nicodemus? Is he a Pharisee or Sadducee? He is a now, this is interactive. You've got to sort of work with me here. He is a Pharisee, right? So he's a Pharisee. And so he has a, a very high moral standard, right? The perception of being right with God is achieved piece by piece and, and following the law and all the things you add up over time. You add it up over a lifetime, and then when you get it all lined up, you can be right with God. The Muslims are, are in the same category, you know, when you go to Turkey and you travel over there, they actually have an app for that, believe it or not. You have an app where you can lay out how many good things you've done and how many bad things you've done. And if those things, sort of the good ways up on the scales, you get to go to heaven. Woohoo! Isn't that exciting? It's all in the app. But the question is, how close are we to that ideal? If I play by all the rules, I can build up my interest-bearing account with God. I can be good with God. And our possession can be like the sect, the, the God is a spectator. He's an ultimate rewarder of good things in my life if I can just get it right. And the point of this text is grace through Jesus Christ. So Jesus' rampage in the previous section, which I really wanted to preach on because I could have a table and I could throw things. I was really excited about that. I threw a, a, what was a, looked like a, a bowling ball once, but it really was a ball painted black and the sea... It was, anyway, we'll move on. Um, but I was really looking forward to that sermon. I wanted it to come last week. So, you know, we'll deal with this. So Jesus' rampage in the previous sections brought a lot of attention to what Jesus is doing. And, and people have come to the stage of the belief that it's parallel to the disciples. They're at a point of reasoning that since Jesus possesses so much power, that he must have favor with God. Right, so the blind man a little later is the same reasoning pattern. The problem with it is it's superficial, even though it's incredibly genuine. And the same can be true of you this morning. You can be here this morning, you've come to church, and you can be incredibly genuine. But we can also be incredibly superficial about our faith. It's kind of like, like sitting on the edge of a stool, right? I'm, I'm kind of sitting here on the edge because I kind of think I believe about this Christian stuff, but I'm coming to church, but I'm not really sure. My goal this morning is if I can get you to put your full weight and trust completely 100% in Jesus. That would be awesome. 
Anyone want to say amen? You can say amen. Come on, this is, come on, get alive here. This is good, right? Y'all need a little bit of Red Bull. The coffee wasn't enough. So, but we can be superficial, right? We can be just on the edge, which is exactly what Jesus saw in the hearts of men. We have to come to full on, full on weight, and I'm going to put everything I've got on Jesus, right? He is secure. I'm just scared that I'm going to fall, so I'm going to get off. Um, but you're right, you have to put your entire weight on who Christ is. So we come to this interview with Nicodemus in the very first of three, right? It's kind of like late night with Larry King. The second is a Samaritan woman, and the third one's going to be with the Canaan official. And it says this, we begin the scripture, it says, Now there's a man who's a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. This guy's upper crust. He's conservative. He's absolutely committed to the study and memorization of the Bible, of the Old uh, Testament. They've memorized it, and they've done their job well. It is understood that these guys knew the text so well. You could roll up a scroll. You could take a pen. You could pierce the scroll, and they could tell you what words were being pierced. Now, that's memorization. Right, they really had it down. So Nick is a member of the Sanhedrin, and it's an assembly of 70 Jewish judges. Right, pious, religious, zealous men who consist of the supreme court of the legislative body of ancient Israel. Now you remember Paul, the apostle, was a member of the Sanhedrin. So it's quite possible actually they were friends. So as this ruling member of the group, he would have been very sensitive to the doctrinal trends of the day. So in this culture, in this day, divorce was the big issue. Right? Can you just go up to your wife and say, raka, 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 you know, you burnt the cookies, you're out, right? I'm divorcing you. That's where they were going with the issue of divorce. There's a whole story about that. We'll get into it another day maybe. But Nicodemus comes very cautiously, and I invite you to come cautiously, but come with an open mind. We are not always going to agree, but we can come with an open heart, we come with an attitude to learn, we come with an attitude to grow, and this is like a Nick at night event. So he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from, from God, and what he's saying is that we understand that you are one of the highest teachers. We understand that you're a teacher who is from God, right? No one can perform the miracles and the signs that you perform if God wasn't with him. Now, when I went in Sunday school, I was talking to one of the young kids outside about Sunday school. I said, what's Sunday school? He says, oh, it's church day. Like, so when I went to Sunday school, we had sort of learned early on that Nick was coming to Jesus at nighttime because he was trying to save face, or he's not trying to get himself in trouble. But probably the reality is Jesus is talking to so many people during the day that the only place that Nick could have a, a conversation with him was going to be at nighttime. He also had all sorts of responsibilities during the day, and so we want to give him a little bit of latitude. So here we are, and under a full moon during the Passover, a bright evening, which John is using to bring about the idea of light and darkness. Nick comes with the knowledge, but he's also a little bit of a dimwit, right? He's got a 40-watt bulb going on instead of a 100-watt, you know, on some of the things that are the most important things. So Jesus hits him with a rather cryptic and absolutely absurd statement. He says this, he says, I tell you the truth. Right? No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again, or born of water and born of spirit. And I just told you I became a boompa, and this provides me something that I've always wanted to do in church on a Sunday morning. I've longed for this day. I get to show you a picture of my baby boy. And everybody goes, ah. And you have to tell me that's the cutest baby you've ever seen, right? That is the best baby you've ever seen, right? 
And so what I, I, I was sort of, as I was sort of, this little baby boy is coming again. We have these infamous words, you know, to be born again. And we almost need to recapture it, right? Because when you're born again, you enter into another world. And the capacity to adapt into different surroundings begins. I was doing some study on, on childbirth. And what's really interesting is in the back of the little baby's heart is a trap door. And that trap door actually allows the baby to be a fluid breathing entity. When the baby is born, that trapdoor shuts and it's forever shut. And as the contractions begin, and the baby's been both the mother's, well, my wife was screaming, I don't know about you, but you know, the baby is born and those contractions happen, she's pushing, and what she's doing is squeezing all the fluid out of the baby's lungs. So that when the baby is born, it is shocked. With all of a sudden, like this cold air, right? It's been in a warm environment, and now it's a cold environment. And the baby's like shocked. It goes, Wah! right? It screams because it's in shock. And all of a sudden, now it's an air-breathing entity. I thought it was the most curious thing in the world. So to belong to a heavenly kingdom, you have to be born into it. You have to be re-equipped. And Nick is pretty shaken up by the concept, right? And the rabbi is saying something that's just blowing his mind. He's reversing the current standing of Jewish rabbinical thought. It's not building blocks. It's not law, palm, circumstance, temple, sacrifice. All that's at an end now because it's all found in Jesus. You have to be born into a new spirit that is not subject to evil, but it's inspired to overcome it. So the next point of view is, hang on a minute, I'm already there. Right? I, I'm in the kingdom. He's a, a descendant of Abraham. I've already got everything I need. I'm a faithful you know, Israelite. I've been even circumcised. And Jesus is telling me that none of that stuff gets me into the kingdom. But Jesus says, nope. Right? That's not going to happen. It doesn't happen by building blocks. It comes by grace, and grace comes from God. And you have to be refitted in order to enter into the kingdom of God. So Nick at night, his brain is being shattered and he asks, how can a man be born when he's old? I mean, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. I mean, that's impossible. And I don't know about those moms of you who are here. I think once is enough, as far as I can tell. Right? No one wants to be reborn. And we often interpret Nick saying, come on, no way. I have to climb back into my mother's womb. That's impossible. But I think what Nick is actually saying is, how can a man whose ways of thinking have been fixed by age and pomp, and circumstance, and temple. How, how can you expect me to change radically? Now, there are various interpretations of what Jesus says next, but I think he's using two words, water and spirit is one word, but the event is so close to John's baptism experience that Nick would have sort of read the report, he would have known what was going on, and I think that what he's doing is he's actually referring to that that men would need to be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, pointing to John's baptism is saying it's the entrance into the kingdom. The entrance into new birth comes with that sense of form, responding to God by repenting and confessing and have this transformation of life, having the ability to surf. When I was in Australia, uh, my daughter and I, we did some surfing lessons. And, and one of the things you learn about surfing is when you go up, you've got your board, and you stick it under the water, the front end first, and you go down, you go under the wave, and you come up the other side. And the problem is if you get it wrong... 
you get pummeled, right? You, you just, your foot goes this way, the surfboard goes this way, and you got sand in places we don't even want to talk about, right? I mean, it's just super awkward, right? You just, and you just get pummeled in the waves. And there's actually a Greek word, which is suke, right? Suke is that life that is just twisted and turned and pummeled. And Jesus says, I've come to give you... Oh, one person knows. We're doing really good here this morning. I've come, Jesus says, I've come to give you life, right? Come on, now, you've got to get with me. Jesus says, I've come to give you... Life and life more abundantly. He says, I've come to give you the capacity to ride the waves of life. I want to show you how to do it. And you're born, you're reborn, and now you have life, and now you have a, and the capacity to ride the waves of life like you have never been able to before. You are no longer water breathing in suke where you've been tossed and turned. You are now having new life, and you can ride the waves. So Jesus says this, he says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, right? No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised that, I must, that I'm saying you must be born again. The wind blows where it blows, you hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it's with everybody who's born of the spirit. So Jesus is saying it doesn't happen because you're born the right way into a really good family and you have good standing. It doesn't happen because you're following rules and regulations. It doesn't even happen because you've seen Skippy the kangaroo. I mean, it happens by a direct act of God. You, you are born alive, but you are dead to the spiritual, and you must have a miraculous second birth. It's got to happen. Now, I love the wind, right? I, love, I have a little Mini Cooper. I love taking the top down and riding over places with the top down. And when I was growing up, it was always a fight for the window between the dog and myself. I love the wind, right? There's no question. But the important thing is, will you respond to it? And the question even is this morning, is God saying something to you this morning? Is there something sort of like ticking off in your heart or in your mind and, and God is speaking to you this morning? <laughs> you know, and, and will you respond to it? We don't know the destination or the origin of the wind, but we know that we can feel it and we know that we can acknowledge it. Its outcome is unpredictable, but actually feeling it and experiencing it is undeniable. So after saying all of this, Nick is still... He's wrestling with it. It doesn't fit the block and mortar stuff. But what it's going? How can this be? He's not expressing, say what? I don't believe it. He's saying, how? How does this happen? And Jesus is going to actually point back to Ezekiel, which says, As I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, and I'll put a brand new spirit into you. Has anybody here experienced that this morning? A couple of you. That means that 90% of you this morning are going to have a relationship with Jesus. It's going to be exciting. Amen? Right? So it's awesome. He says, look, I'm going to give this to you. I'll give you. I'll change your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you, and I'll move my capacity to follow my decrees and keep my laws. Now, in this culture, in this day, if you were a Gentile and you decided to become a follower of Judaism, you'd take all these steps to get there. And this looks familiar, doesn't it? This is called a mikvah. And as somebody who's coming into a relationship with, with the context of Judaism, you would have to step into the mikvah, and you were being brought under the wings of the Shekinah, right? You were given new clothing, you were given new context, you were brought into the commonwealth of people. That's what it would be for you and for me if we became Judaic today. Right? However, if you were an Israelite, you were considered a, a child of Abraham. You, you were there by covenant, and Jesus is telling Nick, that his birthright into Abraham's family is not enough. 
He needs to repent, and he needs to begin a brand new life in the Spirit. The other thing about verse 9 is Nick's being set up for humor. Now, biblical humor is kind of hard for us to perceive sometimes, but Nick is being set up as a foil for the hero who is Jesus. And in this statement, it says, you are Israel's teacher. It's kind of like, McFly, hello, how can you, what, what is going on with you? How, you are a teacher of Israel. How come you don't understand this? Are you so dense that you don't see this? Come on, Nick, you've got to understand what's going on here, right? He's talking about this total commitment to, to the context of where Nick was at, and he's shifting gears on him. How on one's earth? If I'm giving you a concrete example, how are you going to understand what's coming next? How is that possible? He says, oh, well, here we go. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him would have eternal life. So this is the reference where we began with the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. Nick would have it memorized. He's having this McFly moment. Right, this is Numbers 21. It's kind of a weird story, poison snakes, deadly things going on. But today the cure for life is only found in Jesus. The totality of all we've done. And if we look on Jesus, we will be healed. See, the gospel does two things with us. Gospel means good news. The good news is that the penalty for our sin has been paid for through Jesus. And in addition, it heals us from the sins that have been committed against us. So the question this morning would be, have you been sinned against? And the answer is you have. Things have been done to you. Statistically, we know there are a number of women here this morning who have been abused. Just statistically, that would be true. There are a number of men who have done things. There are a number of, of guys who have also been, had sins committed against them. The stuff that we have endured as individuals. Sin that has been committed against us. We live in an age where people have done things that they need forgiveness for. And there are some people who have been abused and some people who are suffering from sin that has happened to them. And the gospel needs to work both ends of that. Healing for and healing against. And a simple question this morning is this, is where has the serpent bitten you? Sins that you have done or sins that have been committed against you? And we are told if we look upon Jesus, healing is available. And that's a promise. That everyone who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So often we read this text and we, we think as we read it that, okay, so when I die, I've got eternal life. Woohoo! And my day is a lot closer than yours. <laughs> but the reality of this text, when we talk about zoe, which is the word life, zoe life, suke or zoe, zoe is riding life. He says, I've come to give you, not suke, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. That doesn't begin at the day you die. That begins at the day you believe and on the day that you receive. You have that life today. And so as we're wandering through COVID, as we're wandering through the stuff that's going on around us and injustice that we see and all that we are experiencing, Jesus says, even in those moments, I've come to give you life. 
I want to show you how to live through this. I want to give you the capacity to ride the wave. And this is evangelism. Evangelists say you need to accept Christ so that when you die, you get to go to heaven. But, you know, what do you do with the remaining 20, 30, 40 years? And if you come to know Christ, all of a sudden you now have a new king, you have a new nature, a new family. And God wants to come and he wants to heal you and he wants to forgive you because you are bleeding to death. (laughs) And you're not living. The, The pain, the suffering, and agony just sucks. But God wants to give you life. God loved, right? For God so loved. God gave, that he gave his one and only son. God, we, we are to respond by believing. You know, God gave, God loved, God gave, we believe, and then what we receive is eternal life. So the question for you, and I want to ask you this morning, is really simple as you're saying, you know, then why do we have this big book, Right? Why is it so thick? Why didn't God just send me a sticky note or send me an email? I mean, that'd be so much easier. You know, why is it so big? I mean, have you ever read that thing? I mean, you, you sort of get into Leviticus and all of a sudden you've got to change all your dietary rules, right? You get to Revelation and, and like, no one's got a chance, right? You get to Paul and you're reading Paul and you're like, dude, I don't even understand what the heck he's saying. And then you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why didn't those guys just put it together and make one book, right? If it's so simple, why can it be so, why is it so confusing? But it is that simple. The reason we have the Bible is not to confuse us. The story over and over is hundreds of years of people who found God. It's the story of God loving the world so deeply. And how it comes to a place where he sends an opportunity for you and I to be rescued. He gives us a son. And it's about people going out with a message. And that our lives change because of it. And the Bible can be very, very complicated, but the message of Jesus is not. The message of Jesus is God loved. Would you say it with me? God loved. God gave. Come on now, church. You got to get with me here. God, ready? One, two. God loved. God gave. We believe and we receive. Real, real, super, super simple. The message of Jesus is simple. So here's something you talk about lunch, over lunchtime. People do not spend eternity separated to God because of sin. They spend it separated from God because they have not believed in and received the free gift. Sin is not the problem. God already paid the price. That's good news. We don't have to perform. You don't even have to attend Sunday church. I know it's okay, Scott, but you really don't have to in order to get to heaven. That's good news, amen? Right? I mean, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to get committed. You don't even have to pay an offering this morning. Because the good news is that God gave his son Jesus, and we simply believe, and then we receive eternal life. The issue is not sin. Christianity, some of your friends are going to reject it. Maybe you might reject it. But make sure you're rejecting it for the correct issue. Not because of some distortion and not because of some complication. So if you're here today and you're saying to yourself, is it really that simple? The answer is yes. If today you're listening and you're saying, I believe that and I, I would like to seal that, then in a moment we're going to sing a song and the, the, the uh, band Sojourn is going to come up and we're going to play Amazing Grace. And come on up, guys. And, and I, I want to engage you to think through the process of where you're at with Jesus this morning. 
It's kind of like, can you imagine there's a big play field and there's a spot and that's the word life. Maybe that's Jesus and we're all over the place. But the question is, how will you respond to Jesus this morning? I want to invite you as they singing to ask the question, am I just sitting on the edge of the stool? Is this where I'm at? I really don't have a fully pledged, complete trust and faith in Jesus. Am I, am I an individual who needs to begin to put my full weight and trust in him for everything? That means my, my finances, my life, my wife, you know, COVID, you know, everything. I'm going to trust in Jesus for absolutely everything. I'm going to put my full, entire weight upon Jesus. This song, Amazing Grace, and, and you can bring it up if you would the slide. It's a tremendous, you know, it's, a, it's an oldie-goldie kind of thing. But it's really remarkable in the words that it uses. Could you, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm absolutely remarked that Jesus saved me. And I hope that you are as well. But I want to ask you, are you sitting full-fledged, trusting 100% in Jesus? And if this morning you're sitting on the edge, I'm going to ask that the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. Father, we just ask as we come to this space that you would, by your Holy Spirit, challenge us this morning in the context of where we're sitting. Are we fully fledged, committed to you? Am I trusting my entire life? Am I putting my full weight? Am I (laughs) receiving Zoe life? Or do I need to rise out of suke as I believe and as I receive? I want to receive eternal life. I want to receive the Zoe life. God, I want it today. Father, is there a way that you would enable me to find that? Holy Spirit, would you just in this moment speak to our hearts? Let's just sing this song and I'll just come back in just a moment if I could. Let's sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace
as you prepare to, to go from this place, and as we talk about when we leave this place, we're not leaving the presence of Jesus. We're not leaving the way that the Holy Spirit moves and impacts our lives. But we have an opportunity to take that, this type of experience where we're taking the movement of God, the movement of the Holy Spirit into the lives of people. And I would encourage you to go with, with boldness, to go in faith, to go believing that both Jesus is your King and Lord and Savior, but that He is desiring to do greater things in, through, and beyond you. So lean into that opportunity as you leave this place. Be praying for our friends this morning. And if you found yourself in a place this morning, like Rob Roy said, like you were leaning forward, but you weren't ready, like you know, you know where we are. You know where to find us. We'll be here today after you, on your way out. We'll be around. Like my email is easy to find. Like reach out to us. Don't, don't leave a moment where the Lord was speaking into your life without an opportunity to talk to somebody about it. So bless you as you go. And if you do consider giving to the Refugee Care Collective, again, that's online um, or on the box on the way out. Thank you for being here today. God bless you as you go. Chasing the highlights